In today's episode of Men's Bible Study, Dr. Justin Hillhouse continues the series, Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood, and teaches from 1 Samuel 14. Justin Hillhouse teaches on the faith to fight based on Saul's son, Jonathan, and his faith to fight the Philistines on Israelites' behalf. Now let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. If you have your copy of God's Word, please open it up, turn it on. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, Dr. Caton is uh, currently out today. He is tending to some minor family business that he has to address this morning, so just be in prayer for him and his family as he deals with that. And uh, so he will be back next week to conclude the story of the 12 spies going into uh, Jericho and there into the promised land. Now, as usual, it's always my heartbeat not to preach any of his material or steal any of his thunder. And so uh, I, I want to compliment what we are talking about today. Uh, in this series, and it's simply called the Five Pillars of Manhood. And so today, uh, we're going to talk, and the title of our talk this morning is simply called uh, The Faith to Fight. The Faith to Fight. And we're going to talk about a little skirmish that Jonathan, the prince of Israel, the son of Saul, David's best friend, has with these guys called the Philistines. And uh, I heard an anonymous quote by somebody and it said, and they said this, they said, and I quote, never get into fights with ugly people because they have nothing to lose. <laughs> and there's so much truth to that. Some of y'all might need to think about that. But when we look in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to look specifically in verses 4 through 10. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. However, we got to have just a little bit of background about uh, what Jonathan is getting ready to do. You see, back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find out that Saul has been made king uh, of, of Israel. And so as he is uh, being king, the Philistines, they come in and they begin to invade uh, Israel. And they go into the towns and they start to uh, enslave the Israelites. They start to uh, take all of their stuff. They begin to tax them. Basically, they come in and they begin to wreak havoc all over the nation of Israel. All right. And so as they come in to do that, Saul, being king now, has to raise an army. And so he brings in about 3,000 Israelites. And they are all armed to the teeth. And we're going to find out what they're armed to the teeth with. But he, they, they come in and he amasses this army of 3,000 men. Well, the Philistines in 1 Samuel 13 verse 5 says, They assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Okay, so you have Saul and his small little army of 3,000, and then you have the Philistines that have 3,000 chariots alone. Okay, they have 6,000 charioteers, and then on top of that, they have a whole bunch of men. Whoever was counting that day just got lazy, right? <laughs> they have a lot of guys, okay? And then the Philistines, they come in and they take the high ground, okay? And they're over there in this place called Micmash. Everybody say Micmash. You know what's fun about Micmash? It's, it's fun just saying that word, Micmash, all right? Just walk around and be like, hey, what's up, Micmash? I mean, it's, it's a fun word to say. They're over there. They're at Micmash, OK? 
Okay? And they have these little outposts and these little garrisons kind of to protect the army set up everywhere. And then on top of that, now, no, not only are the Israelites outnumbered, but you read in 1 Samuel 13 that the Israelites have no weapons. They come to the fight, okay, with uh, farm equipment, with sickles. They come with uh, axes, with, um, with plow points. Jonathan and King Saul are the only two out of all 3,000 men gathered that have swords. And so we pick up this story, this small little story, while Saul is, is hanging out underneath a tree, and Jonathan decides to go and to kind of test the waters and to see what happens. This is a great little story, all right? Um, and anyway, so we pick up the story. So there's the background. So here's the story, 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 4. It says this, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was on a cliff. One was called Bozi and the other uh, Sina. Uh, one cliff stood to the north, Michmash, the other to the south, Torgiba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come now. Then we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, they will say, uh, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because it will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now from this short passage, we see three important things. And the first thought is simply this. Our faith gives us confidence because of whose we are. Our faith gives us confidence because of whose we are. Look at what it says there in verse 6. And this is what is so great. It says this, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let us go up to the outpost uh, of those uncircumcised men. Your version might say, those uncircumcised men. Philistines. Why would he say that? Why in the world would he say that? Come, let us go over there to that outpost with those uncircumcised men. Here's what is really cool. Jonathan is, giving, is given confidence because of whose he is. Meaning that Jonathan knows that he is a Jew. Okay? He knows that he's a Jew. He has a covenant relationship with the one true God. He is different from every other person in every other nation in the world. You know why? Because he's circumcised. I know, it's kind of funny, isn't it? <laughs> but he's circumcised, all right? 
And get this, circumcision only happened to Israelite male babies. And circumcision, get this, was a sign and it was a covenant that God made with Abraham. And it was to show that they were different from everybody else. And also it was to show that they were God's chosen people. If you look in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, it says this, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. This is God talking to Abraham. And he says this, The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. Israel is God's chosen nation, and Israel is God's chosen people. They are set apart. And Jonathan knew that. Jonathan knew that because they were different and they were supposed to be different. And understand this, the Israelites, they were a different nation. They were different from every other nation. The Israelites, their God was an invisible God. He was the one true God. And God even said, no statue shall be made of me. Guess what? Every other nation in the world had. They had multiple gods and they had statues of their gods. Guess what? Israelites... They didn't have any statues of their God. Just from their worship, they were different. Their dietary laws were different. They had morals. They had an ethical code. They had a certain style in which they worshiped God. The Israelites were different, and they knew it, and they were different from birth, from everybody else, because they got circumcised. They weren't like everybody else. And so Jonathan... He looks at these guys, he goes, these men are just like every other men on the face of this earth. I'm an Israelite. I'm different. I'm going to go up there to those uncircumcised Philistines and see what's going on. Jonathan knew that no matter what happened to him, God was on his side. And that God was there to fight for him. This was a just fight. The Philistines came in onto the Israelite property and into the Israelite territory for the purpose to enslave and to impress or and to oppress. And Jonathan had had enough of it. And so he knew that, hey, he's different. And so therefore, it gave him confidence. Men, our strength and our confidence... Today, right now, 3,000 years later, is the same confidence that Jonathan had, we have too. We're different than the rest of this world. Y'all thought about that? We are different from the people driving down the road there on 121. Okay? Because guess what? Our faith and our trust is not put into politics. Amen? It's not put in our boss. Our faith and our trust is not put in our bank accounts. Rather, our faith, our trust, and our confidence comes from the same God that Jonathan worshipped. That's it, plain and simple. And please know that we as Christians, we are set apart. We are different from this world. Guys, we are circumcised. And I'm not talking physically But their scripture talks about a circumcision of the heart. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, it says this, A person is not a Jew 
who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is uh, one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Galatians 6.15 Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Get this. What counts is the new creation. That's what counts. What counts is salvation. What counts is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what sets us apart from everyone else. We are set apart from this world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Boy, I really like that term. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonder, wonderful light. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live but what? Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Guys, we are different. We are chosen. We are a circumcised holy nation. We are set apart. And so therefore, we have confidence in God. Why do we have confidence in the one true God? It's because He has set us apart. Jeremiah 17, 7, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Psalm 27, 3, Though, my arm, though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. Through the war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Hebrews 13.6, I love this verse. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I really like what Martin Luther said, and he says this, and I quote, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. Man, Jonathan has confidence. He looks at him and he goes, let's go up there to those uncircumcised Philistines, those unchosen people, those people that believe in false gods, that worship false gods, that don't live the way we do. Let's go up there because we serve the what? We serve the one true God. We serve the Creator. The one that created us. And so Jonathan, in a nutshell, is crazy. <laughs> he and his armor bearer, they climb up to those guys with confidence. And this leads us to our second thought, and that's simply this. Our lives and our faith are full of risks. Now, I kind of want to camp out right here, but it says this in, uh, in the middle of verse 6. And if you have your Bibles, I'd underline this. But it, Jonathan says this to his armor bearer. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Underline that if you can. Perhaps the Lord will 
act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearers said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on, then we will cross over toward them and let them see us. Now this statement that Jonathan makes is a great statement. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan does not assume that God is going to act. Nor does he put God in a position and force him to act. Jonathan, rather, he says, I know God is powerful. I know God can defeat these guys. However, I don't know what God is thinking. He knows God can take care of the situation, but he doesn't know what God is thinking. And so he has to take a risk. And the only way to know what God is thinking is he's going to have to take a little step of faith. He's going to have to take a risk and kind of go up to these guys. Risk is defined as this. Risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of injury or loss. That's what risk is. It is the action that exposes you to the possibility of injury or loss. And in this case, Jonathan has the potential of losing his life. Because he's going up there. He's going to get within shouting distance of these guys. And there's only two of them. He's going to an outpost where we know there's probably 15 to 30 men there. They could be easily overtaken. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. Risk assumes ignorance about what's coming. In other words, we don't know what's going to happen. If we knew what was going to happen, it wouldn't be called risk, right? And so, Jonathan has no clue what's going to happen. And talking about risk really is a tricky subject. And I kind of want to address a little bit of it here because we all take risks in life, do we not? We all take risks. We take risks in our job. We got in our cars today and we risked getting in a wreck getting here. Did you know that? We all take risks, okay? We get in a cylindrical tube with wings on it and we fly at 550 miles an hour at 35,000 feet. Gentlemen, that is a risk that I hate. <laughs> I don't like flying. But that is a risk we all take. We all take risks every day. And some of them are bigger than others. But there is a difference between taking a risk in faith and a risk that is worthwhile and then taking a real stupid risk and doing something foolish. There's a difference between what's called a calculated risk and a redneck risk. Are you with me on that? Okay. A calculated risk 
means that you have prayed over it, <clears throat> that you've weighed the options, that you have your pros list, you have your cons list, they all come together, you kind of look things over, you mull it over, you turn it over to God, you're not exactly sure, but it's calculated. You sit down and you think about it. And then there's the foolish risk, or the redneck risk. And the redneck risk is simply this, hey man, hold my beer and watch this. Okay, that is a redneck risk, okay? And guys, there are gentlemen all over this world and all over this country, they take redneck risks all the time. And I'm not just talking on YouTube either, okay? Which, by the way, they're hilarious to watch. I fall asleep every night watching, you know, guys do stupid stuff. But, yeah, home movies, yes. Thank you, bless you. Be warm and filled, Keith. <laughs> so, uh... You made me lose my spot. Redneck wrist. <laughs> hey, man, hold my beer and watch this. We have guys, though, that do that. And there are guys, even Christian guys, though, that's what they'll say. They will just go into risk headlong without even consulting about it, without even thinking about it, without even praying about it. And they say, oh, God's got this. And then they fail and they wonder why God wasn't there. Well, let me tell you something. Jonathan, he said, I'm taking a risk, but I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God is going to do. He doesn't put God in a corner. He allows God to work the way God wants to work in that situation. I don't believe that there is an easy way. There's not some five-step process uh, there's no bulletproof way to resolve the tension between taking a calculated risk and then that risk of foolishness. However, I do believe that there are two questions you should ask in every situation of risk. The first question is this, is my wisdom killing my trust in God? Is my wisdom killing my trust in in God. We all get to a certain point or a certain season in life where you no longer want to take risks. And so you use words like, I'm just trying to be prudent or be wise or be responsible. But the truth is, is that you just really don't want to rock the boat. You've gained all that you wanted to get to gain and you don't want to risk losing what you have gained. And so your motives, if you're honest with yourself, is just simply, hey, I want to hold on to what I have. You don't want to sacrifice anymore. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14 through 16, I want to encourage you to go home and yourself kind of unpack what Solomon is talking about it, but he says this, when times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Get that? No one can discover anything about their future. What is risk? Risk means that we don't know the future. Verse 15, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their own righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? 
Pretty fascinating passage right there. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Is my wisdom killing my trust in God? That's the first question about risk. The second question about risk is this. Does my trust in God disregard all wisdom? Does my trust in God disregard all wisdom? Trust still looks like Jesus. And it should have outcomes consistent with Christ's character and with Scripture. If your decision is taking, uh, in taking a particular risk makes you and the people you lead nothing like Christ, then it has nothing to do with Christ. That's it. If the risk you are taking does not lead other people to, to Christ and does not point back to Christ, then guess what? It's, it's probably not of Christ. James 3.17, this is a great verse. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You see, when it comes to risk... Trust in God and wisdom work together. They don't work separate from each other. You got that? When it comes to risk, trust in God and wisdom work together. No matter the outcome, does your risk or the failure or success of that risk bring glory to God? Catch that? And you have to ask the question is, are the, are the consequences of, fail, of failure acceptable? Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? What happened to them in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18? They were uh, called upon by King, King Nebuchadnezzar to come uh, with all the other uh, uh, leadership in, in Babylon. And, and he made this big, beautiful image. And he told everyone to bow down before the image, and everyone bowed down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so he called them up there and he said, Hey boys, you, you got to go bow down. And they said, That ain't going to happen, boss. And look at what happens there in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Then verse 18, But even if He does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guess what? They took the same risk that Jonathan did. Jonathan said, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, God can save us. If He does, we don't know. If we live, glory be to God. If we die, glory be to God. No matter the outcome, God gets the glory. And that's the great thing about risk as a Christian. No matter what, God gets the glory. 
C.S. Lewis said this, If you never take risks, you'll never accomplish great things. Everybody dies, but not everyone has lived. There's a great poem I came across, and it says this, There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked, he never tried, he never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never really died. Guys, we need to take risks. And we are in a world where there are opportunities for risk all the time. And some risks are greater, some are smaller. But with every risk, I want to encourage you to ask those two questions. Is my wisdom killing my trust in God? And does my trust in God disregard all wisdom? We will take risks. Make sure it's a calculated risk and not a redneck risk. And this leads us to our third thought, which is this. Take things one step at a time. When you look at Jonathan, he says, hey, let's go up there to those uncircumcised Philistines. Those guys are not like us. Let's take a risk, okay? Perhaps God will save us. Perhaps He might not. We don't know, but we will never know if we don't go up there. So we're going to have to go up there. And then he takes it one step at a time. Look there in verse 8, Jonathan said, Come on, then we will cross over to them and let them see us. If they say, wait here, we will come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb up because the, that will be our sign that the Lord has given us into their hands. Jonathan here is smart. He did not just go ahead. He, did, he, just not go, he, he didn't go headlong into the fight. Instead, he just kind of took things one step at, at a time, he tested the waters. He climbed up enough for the Philistines to see him. And then he kind of had a plan. And how he came up with the plan, I, I don't know. There might have been something going on at the time that I, I don't know why he said, hey, if they say, come to us, we'll, we'll go take them out or stay there. I don't know how he came up with that. But I do know this. He had to take it one step at a time. He didn't just go into the fight. He had to find out where they were in the fight. And guys, we have to take things one step at a time. And here's what we know. God doesn't give us the whole plan all the time. As a matter of fact, in my life, God's never given me the whole plan. I know the end of the story. I've read Revelation. I know that in the end we win, but today there are some things I'm facing that I don't, I don't know exactly what to do. Are y'all with me on that? There are some things that are going on in my family. I don't know what to do. There are some things going on at work. I don't know what to do. And so what do you do? You just got to take them one step at a time. And we have to trust that God is going to lead us. What does Jonathan do? Well, let's take this thing one step at a time, right? Let's go up there, let's let them see us, and then we'll figure it out from there. And that's the way sometimes we just have to follow God. God leads us one step at a time. He shows us the path. And He may not show us the whole path, He just might show us two or three steps 
ahead. Isaiah 48, 17. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. John 16, 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Psalm 25, 4-5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are uh, God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Don't run ahead of God. Walk right with Him. Oswald Chambers said this, Never run before God's guidance. If there is the slightest doubt, then He is not guiding Whenever there is doubt, don't. That's good advice. Whenever there is doubt, don't. You may not know the end of the story, but I can definitely look down and say, okay, that's the next step. I can take that step. That's not a good step. That's not a good step. Okay, where's the next good step? Where is God leading? God will lead. God will guide. And so the story ends in 1 Samuel chapter 14 like this in verse 11 through 14. <clears throat> so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost, the uncircumcised Philistine outpost. Look, said the, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they are hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Now, what do we know from the story? What did Jonathan say? If they call us to come up to them, what's going to happen? It's on like Donkey Kong, okay? There's going to be a brawl. There's going to be a fight. And so it says, so Jonathan um, says, the men of the apples said, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an anchor. Isn't that a cool story? That is such a great story. Jonathan has confidence. Let's go up there to those uncircumcised Philistines. I want to encourage you, walk into your office. Just look around and just nod your head. Bunch of uncircumcised Philistines. You guys don't worship the same God I do. Because my God does great and awesome and mighty things. Does that not give you confidence? Perhaps our lives and our faith is full of risks. Perhaps God will do something great. Perhaps He will. I don't know if He will or not, but maybe. No matter what, for better or for worse, to God be the glory. And then three, take things one step at a time. Take things one step at a time and ask God to guide, lead, and direct you. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you that we could come here and open up your word and read about your servant, Jonathan. What a great story. And God, thanks for showing up and for uh, 
for showing up at the fight so that we can look at this story and to see your greatness and to see your boldness. Father, may we uh, go out into this world trusting you with every step, God. You don't give us the whole plan. You tell us the end of the story, but Father, you don't give us the whole plan. So Father, may we trust you with every step, with every risk. May we bring it to you and may you guide, lead, and direct us in your wisdom. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Y'all have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.